0: So I want to I want to tell y'all a couple stories here. I'm not going to tell y'all who these people are right away, um, but it kind of fits the theme of the lesson here. So uh, the first one's about a teenage kid. He he's in high school. He's a sophomore. Uh, he's real real good at basketball, and he tries to join the team. He goes out for varsity, and uh, coach recognizes him as a great player. Recognizes he's got a lot of skill, a lot of talent, um, a lot of ability, and then at the last minute, the coach cuts him from the team because he wasn't tall enough. Um, Tells him, you gotta go do JV, you can't join the varsity team right now. Um, So this coach cut him off the team, and uh, he's not able to join this team because of something that he doesn't really have any control over. Um, This is kind of heartbreaking, but we'll hear more about him in just a minute. The second guy is a young dude in his 20s, uh, joins, a, joins a newspaper, one of his first jobs. He starts working for this local newspaper, he's drawn up comics, political comics, and uh, he gets fired because he's not creative enough. So he uh, then goes on, he meets this guy, starts his own little company, starts doing these little ad spots, these little two-minute deals, to sell to like, movie theaters and stuff, and uh, he gets uh, cheated on, or cheated by a uh, ad executive, a guy who um, is supposed to help him distribute this stuff. They cheats, he cheats him, and uh, his, his new company that he's just started with his friend goes bankrupt. So these two guys here, the thing they have in common is they had failures, uh, but that first guy that we talked about the high school kid who got cut from his, his varsity basketball team was Michael Jordan. Uh, greatest basketball player of all time. That's maybe a little biased, but um, yeah, he goes on to be a, a four time US gold medalist, a two time uh, Olympic gold medalist in basketball. He is, uh, there's an entire sneaker brand name for him, so Air Jordans. I mean, great, great dude. Um, he goes on to be wildly successful. And the second guy, the guy that got cut for not being creative enough, is Walt Disney. So, uh, we know who Walt Disney is. He goes on, he uh, comes up with the, the concept of Mickey Mouse. He gets in like right as, right as uh, sound enters animation, so he's able to, to capitalize on that. He comes up with Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse. Uh, and currently, um, I had to look this number up last night, Uh, the Disney Corporation is worth 203.6 billion dollars. So, I don't even know what that looks like, I can't imagine that number, it's huge. Um, So our common theme there is failure, and so what I wanna talk about today is kinda how we navigate that, um, especially as men. Uh, So we are, each and every one of us are in a whole bunch of different arenas. So we we go in, we have jobs, we have families, uh, we have some of us have siblings. Um, we've got nieces, nephews, grandkids, children. Um, so you're in all these different arenas. And it makes it difficult because the more places, the more arenas that you're in, the more chance for failure. And it's not just like a linear scale, it's exponential. So the more places you go, the more chances you have to fail, which is kind of intimidating. Um, and the problem is, is it's, it's for, failure is really persistent. And so, how we how we deal with it, how we handle it, is really important. Um, so, especially because uh, as men, like we're called to be leaders in our community, leaders in our church, leaders in our family. Um, when we go into those arenas, people are, are looking at you. So, again, no pressure. Uh, but when you when you have those failures, it's not it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when. Um, so that's the first hurdle you have to overcome is you have to recognize that. It's going to happen, uh, but when they happen, the people who look up to you, whether it's your nieces, nephews, your, your kids, your grandkids, uh, co-workers, uh, they're going to watch how you handle it, whether you realize it or not, and so it's really important that we, we do that with grace. We recognize that uh, it's going to happen, and we accept it, we embrace it. And so I've got, I've got two verses uh, to kind of to pivot this lesson here. The first one is uh, Proverbs 24, 16. And that is that the righteous will, will uh, stumble seven times, but the wicked will fall into calamity. Uh, the point there is that um, you stumble over and over again, but your stumble should always outnumber your, your or your rises should always outnumber your falls. Um, and so if you don't, you You fall into calamity, you fall into despair. Uh, and the number seven there is really important because biblically the number seven there represents like wholeness and completeness. so when when uh, when he writes seven times, he is uh, kind of alluding to the fact that it is a permanent thing, like you're always going to be stumbling, but you have to get back up. It's not just. It doesn't just happen seven times. It's going to happen over and over again all your life, and you just got to keep getting back up. Um, <clears throat> the next one, the, the kind of pivot verse there, is Psalm 37, 23 through 24. And uh, the, the basis of that verse there is that uh, when we fall, that God is there for us. God is there to pick us back up and lift us up. Um, and so those two, those two verse, verses work hand in hand kind of throughout this lesson, and that's kind of what I, I base this on. Um, so again, our, the number of times we rise should always outnumber the number of times that we fall. And we have to make sure that we do get back up, because those who are in our sphere of influence are watching. So before we kind of dive into failures, uh, we have to understand that there's three kinds of failures that you see. Um, Again, the first hurdle is accepting that it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But then you have to look at the different types of failures that we see. Um, So the three that we have are external, internal, and then self-inflicted. The external things are things that are like outside of your control, things that happen to you. um, Don't really have a a handle on. uh, It's probably one of the more difficult ones to grasp, just because you don't have control, and that's something that we really like in our lives is control. Um, the second one is internal failure, that's things in your hearts and your minds, uh, struggles that go on there. And then the, the third one, self-inflicted, is kind of like you just can't get out of your own way. Uh, you make mistakes, you recognize that what you're doing is wrong, but you do it again and again and again, and uh, those are those are difficult to get over, it's, it's uh, like habitual sins. Uh, pride, things like that. So I've got three stories, one to go with each of those types of failure, and then kind of talk about how you pull yourself out of them. Uh, So the external failure here, um, you all may have heard of a a dude in the Bible. He gets 42 chapters. His name's Job. Uh, He is, uh, he sets the bar for righteous Men in the Bible, um, he is described by God as uh, blameless and upright. Uh, so he's recognized as a as a personally strong man. He's righteous. He's blameless. Uh, but we also see when you read there in the beginning uh, that he is very professionally uh, strong. So he sets the bar both personally and professionally. So professionally, he owns. Uh, herds of animals. He has lots and lots of wealth, um, lots of people working for him. He's like the big employer in the area. Um, So he's very wealthy. He's very prosperous. Uh, So the point of Job is that uh, Satan comes in and he tells God, he says, I'm going to test somebody. And God says, okay, use Job. And uh, for those of you who've read it, I'm just going to do a short thing here. We're not going to go through 42 chapters of Job this morning. Um, we don't have time for that, and I'm sure you don't want to listen to me talk about it. So, um, But at first, uh, God doesn't let him harm Job. He just says anything that he has in his possession, anything around him, you can take. Um, but that's going to that's go on um, because Satan wants to keep testing him. Um, and so God is going to allow him to test job's uh health uh as well test his body um because satan's point is he wants to see job crack he wants to see him break and curse god and over the course of of about 38 chapters job is going to lose his entire family he's going to lose his his business his workforce his friends Uh, his wife is gonna is gonna turn on him she's gonna say why don't you just curse god and die Uh, and through it all he refuses to. Um, he he does get angry. Some of the verses in there, you can see that he's he's in agony. He's in pain. Um, but at no point does he turn it against God. Um, his friends come in, and they, they try to convince him, you know, you must have done something to deserve this. Um, and he tells them, no, I haven't. Uh, and so they're kind of doubting his character. They're undermining his character, even. Um, so he is... Patient all the way through these trials. And so this is an, an ex- external failure uh, because he didn't have any control over it. It just is pushed on him. Uh, but then in chapter 38 we see that God shows up and Job, Job is kind of like monologued to God at this point and he's, he's almost said like, put yourself in my position, like look at it from, from my point of view. And when God comes in, God says, why don't you look at it from my point of view, and God goes on like a two chapter monologue talking about um like you have you done this? Have you done this? Were you there when this happened? and job kind of realizes, wow, like there's a lot of power there um, so he's patient, he listens um and he allows God to change his heart and he surrenders completely to God, and then at the end of the at the end of the book there. Um, he actually goes and he prays for the people who had just been undermining his character, telling him that he obviously deserved this. Um, and at the end, God restores everything to him uh, more abundantly than he had it to begin with. So, uh, the point of this this one here is that Job is is really patient. He pushes through, um, and he uh, he he recognizes that everything that he had was from God. That everything that he had. <clears throat> was not something that he deserved on his own, uh, so he he leans into the fact that the Lord has provided for him and would provide for him again, um, and so that's kind of what we have to do in life. Sometimes um, it can be really difficult to do that because you know it's it's hard to go through times of trial and pain, but if you if you dive into the Word, you gather people around you who who can help support you, um, and you're patient you can push through those things. Again, it's not, I'm not saying it's comfortable, but it is uh, definitely the way that we need to handle those situations and we don't always do that. Um, so he's a really interesting story. Um, I encourage you all to, to kind of read his story if you haven't done that. It's not an easy book to read because there's a lot of pain in it. Um, but I do think it's, it's really valuable. Um, so I guess pivoting to our, our next failure here, uh, it's going to be internal failures. So I'm looking at the story of Elijah for that one. Um, for those of you who have heard that name before or haven't heard that name before, he is a, he's a prophet. Um, again, we're kind of sticking with a little bit of an Old Testament theme here. So um, I've really been enjoying the Old Testament this year. Uh, um, so where he is in uh, 1 Kings 18 is he has just come from Mount Carmel. He, is, uh, he has gone up to, uh, for lack of a better term, like fight the prophets of Baal, or Baal, however you pronounce that, I'm not entirely sure. But um, So he goes up and he he fights these prophets, and by fighting him, what he does is he lets God fight him. So these guys come up and they, they kind of dance around, and uh, they're trying to get this pillar of fire to come down and consume their offering. Um, and nothing happens, and they do this all day long. And then Elijah goes up and he prays, and the Lord consumes this offering. And so uh, the people see that uh, the God of Israel is greater than this, this God, Baal. Um, and so there's 450 of these prophets. And so the people, the people take and they gather them, and they, they put these prophets to death. Um, so against overwhelming odds... Elijah has just defeated 450 prophets, so 450 to one is pretty bad odds. But but he does it. Um, so he's he's always had this this fire in him. Um, so there's these two high high priests um, of Baal, uh, Ahab and, and Jezebel, and so uh, Elijah's always been angry at them. He's been furious at people who are idolaters. He has been. Uh, passionate for the Lord and he has contempt for these followers of, of Baal. Um, but then in 1 Kings 19, at the very beginning, uh, we see that there's a death sentence put out on him. So Ahab and Jezebel, these guys that he's been angry with, these high priests of Baal, uh, call for his life. So they, they put out the word like, hey, when we find this guy, put him to death. And so he's just defeated 450 of these prophets and then there's two left, and they're the leaders. So, like, he can cut the head off the snake right now. Um, and instead of playing the odds, like, he just had 450 to one. Now he's got two to one. He runs away. Um, and so uh, this is kind of a, a crisis of confidence. So he doesn't, he doesn't believe he can do it. Um, he kind of misses the point here. Um, again, it's not that he can do it. It's that the Lord can do it. Um, and so uh, he, kind of, he kind of runs away. And it, it tells where he goes, and I actually looked this up and did, did some mileage calculation and stuff, because I like doing that kind of stuff. So Mount Carmel is kind of up to the, to the uh, west of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and he runs away. And the place he runs to is, uh, it said, like 112 miles, 113 miles away. Um, but if you think about that in ancient terms, Uh, he doesn't have a car to do that, so when he runs away, that's like us running away to the southern tip of South America, okay? He just gets out of Dodge, um, so he just, he runs away, and not only does he run away to this point that's as far as he can imagine, but he finds a cave and he hides in the back of it. So he is hidden himself from the world, hidden himself from everything because he is terrified. So he doesn't have the confidence in himself and at this point in the Lord, that the Lord can do it. And it's kind of difficult to absorb, but if you think about it, we do the same thing. Uh, So we doubt ourselves. We say, you know, I don't have the confidence to do that. I don't have the time to do that. We undermine ourselves. It's that that mental battle um, that we struggle with internally. And so in the cave, um, the Lord finds him and asks him, why did you run away? And so he, he kind of outlines why he did it. Um, <clears throat> he says that Israel's forsaken your covenant. He says the other prophets are dead. I'm the only one left. Um, and he says they've threatened my life. And uh, over the rest of the, the chapter here, we see <clears throat> um, Job go through, or not Job, I'm sorry, Elijah go through some some trial. Uh, and we see that God sends an earthquake. He sends a fire. He sends a tornado. It uh, calls it a great wind. And it says that the Lord is not in any of those things. He's not in the uh, the, these destructive powers. And he comes to him in a whisper. And once again, he asks him, Why did you run? Because now we reading this think that he's seen the power of God, he's heard the voice of the Lord. You know, he's going to answer differently this time. But he doesn't. Um, And so what the Lord does is he gives him a mission. He he kind of gives him a charge and he says, This is what I want you to do. He gives him instruction. And sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes when we're doubting ourselves, if you really lay it out, you talk to somebody, you find a mentor, find somebody uh, to, to push through those those doubts with who can say, hey, take this first step. Sometimes that's, that's the little push we need. So God gives him that little push and he sends him out on a mission. Um, and so he sends him back out and... Uh, he goes and he anoints these kings so he's literally turning over world orders by anointing new kings. Uh, there's new political people in town um, and he tells him to go uh, go find a, a guy named elisha Elijah elisha uh, slightly confusing if you're not familiar with the story there but um, <clears throat> tells him to go find this guy and appoint a new prophet and to bring him up. Um, and so the point here is that God gives him that little push, gives him a little bit of direction, uh, kind of corrects his uh, self-doubt and self-confidence, and uh, God is always with us when we're on a mission for Him, and so we have to remember that when we when we doubt ourselves, when we um, when we think, "Oh, I just can't do this," um, when you recognize that the Lord is with you uh, and He'll He will protect you, carry you through, and uh, He'll guide you. Um, sometimes you feel like you don't have the words, but when He has you stand up and and actually speak, He guides your tongue. Um, and that's, that could be kind of difficult, but really when you think about it, it is kind of beautiful that uh, you know it's not on me, it's, it's the Lord, like you're sharing the Lord's word. Um, so you shouldn't have any, any fear in that because if it's the word of the Lord, then it's, it has nothing to do with you. Uh, you're just an instrument. And so Elijah overcomes that doubt because he is an instrument of the Lord. He is given a mission to go out. <clears throat> so that's internal failure, and that's how, how Elijah overcame it. Uh, the last one here, um, I'm sure you all know the story, is Peter. So it's, it's a self-inflicted failure, self-inflicted problems. Um, and the, the moral of this one here is that, uh, before I dive into it, is that we really need to be prepared. Um, and sometimes it takes a while to build that up. Um uh, because if we know that these failures are coming, we know these things are gonna happen. Uh, you can you can really prepare for that. you can build up. And the way to do that is to to find a group of people, um, pour into the word, pour into each other, uh, support each other, and just be ready because the world's gonna come at you. Um, I had somebody tell me once that when you uh, become a follower of Jesus that you you put on that armor, you pick up that sword. Uh, that you've just stepped onto a battleground, and you're no longer a civilian, so you're now out in the world fighting, and because you are no longer a civilian, because you're out there fighting, you're a servant of the Lord, a soldier of the Lord, um, that the devil's coming for you, and that's kind of difficult to absorb, but... um, it is also comforting because, again, we know that we've got the armor of the Lord. Uh, you put on that armor, you pick up that sword of the Spirit, uh, and if you, you use the tools available to you, you use the word of the Lord, uh, and you lean on it, it is, it's much easier to push through those attacks that are going to come your way. Um, so chaos is coming for us, but how do we withstand it? Um, That's kind of what, what Peter's story is about here. Um, the mental picture that I get, uh, because I love the movie, is from the, the movie 300. If y'all have seen that, kind of, kind of a violent movie, but it is, it's pretty good. Um, the The picture that I get is uh, these Persians are are fighting against these 300 Spartans, and they uh, they say something about we outnumber you greatly, and you know our, our arrows will blot out the sun, and you see the the Spartans hanging out under their shields as arrows rain down on top of them and they start laughing and they say, we'll fight in the shade. So, um, so these guys are clearly prepared. Like They've trained all their lives for this and they're able to, to push through overwhelming odds uh, because they've trained all their lives for it, they're prepared for it. Um, and so Peter's story here is in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Um, so this is right before Jesus goes off uh, to the cross, and this is kind of counter to Elijah. That's why I put these two stories together. Um, so Elijah is, he doesn't trust himself. He's, he's not confident in himself, and Peter is overconfident. Uh, so he uh, is, is speaking with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, Behold, uh, Satan wants to sift you. And so these these words here are, are kind of interesting. Uh, Behold is not something that we say today, if I run out and I say, behold, people are gonna look at me kind of funny. Uh, but so the closest thing that we have to that today uh, that we actually use in, in language is, is like, look out. Um, it's a warning. Uh, Jesus is telling him like, hey, Satan wants to sift you. And the, the word sift here is really important. We don't see that word really anywhere else in scripture. Um, and the point of that word is uh, when, they, when they sift grain, Uh, They take these bundles and they they pick them up and they shake them uh, until the heads of the grain fall off. Um, And so if you put that into perspective of of Peter, uh, that's what Satan is trying to do to Peter. He's trying to pick him up, grab him by the shoulders and shake him until his head falls off. Um, And so how how does Peter handle that? So Jesus tells him, Satan wants to sift you. And Peter immediately says, no, I've got you. He says, I have you, I will support you to prison or death. So he just jumps straight into the extreme. Um, And Jesus' response is that uh, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter doesn't really believe that that's going to happen. And knowing the story, we know that Peter would then go on to deny deny that he knew Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. but he is, he is that guy, that friend who says, I've got your back. And then when something happens, when things hit the fan, you turn around and he's nowhere to be seen. So he is all in verbally, but he doesn't actually back it up with action. Um, and so we, we actually do see his redemption arc in uh, John. So John writes about it later on. Um, John is actually the only one who writes about it, which is interesting because we talk about Peter's failure all the time, but we don't talk about his redemption later on. Um, and so he, he learns from those mistakes. He learns from the fact that he denied Jesus, uh, and he goes on, and when he sees Jesus later, I mean, he jumps out of the boat and, and starts swimming for the shore. Like he, he recognizes the Lord. He recognizes that uh, he's made a mistake, and he begs for forgiveness. Um, and so the point of Peter's story is that so? Satan picked him up and shook him, and and uh, Peter is shaken to his very core, so that he can become an unshakable rock upon which to build the church. Um, and so he he builds off of that failure, and at no point after that does he does he doubt. So he he doesn't cave to overconfidence. He doesn't cave to, to any of that. He goes out into the world. And he would go to the point of death for Jesus. Um again that's difficult. We're not necessarily called to the point of death where we live here today. Um so when you read stories like that in the Bible, uh it's it's kinda hard to put a grasp on it because here in South Haven, Mississippi, we're not we don't face death for our beliefs. Um but there are people in the world who do. And uh that's it's really, really difficult to to put a handle on because Again, we don't, we don't see that in our daily lives, but the point, the point still stands. Um, we can definitely be overconfident, like Peter was. Um, and so the point here is, is just be prepared, uh, expect that it's coming, um, and train yourself up to, to kind of dodge or, or weather those storms. Uh, we we want to build ourselves up in character, in humility, um, in resilience, And the way that we do that is kind of diving into the Lord, building up a community around us. Groups like this here are fantastic for that. A bunch of really good dudes in this room. So um, that is our story of Peter. That's our third type of failure there. Um, And so just kind of in closing, um, the idea of success and failure, the world wants you to believe that those things are polar opposites of each other. Um, But the way that God sees it, uh, there is success in the failures. Um, And so he builds on those failures, and he uses them. Um, With Peter, again, it's because he shakes him to his core so that he can become an unshakable rock. Um, Other failures could be things that we struggle with, things that we've pushed through, because now you have that life experience to share with other people, uh, things that you can build on, that you can relate to people with. And... Um, sometimes it can be really difficult to talk to people about about things, but when you have stuff in common you've had the same struggles uh it's it's much easier to explain uh, how God guided you through those things um, so what what God's trying to do us, do with us here uh, with failure is he wants to take us from kind of an as is state to his intended state so he wants to to build us up into to the picture that he wants us to be um and the thing is, is we just kind of have to submit to that. Um, again, we we talk about dying to ourselves uh, when we read through the, the Pauline letters, but it's kind of difficult to do that in practice. Um, again, we're going to resist it. Uh, but the point here is that we need to submit. We need to uh, let the Lord change our hearts, and we need to pivot from the ways that we are that we are going in currently. So when we when we struggle with those things, we need to recognize that hey, this is where I stop and I can turn around and go back the other direction where the, where the Lord wants me to go. Um, and then you can use that to build into the guys around you, build into community around you and strengthen each other. So I kind of just want to end here. I touched on Michael Jordan at the very start, so I wanted to end with a, a Michael Jordan quote. Um, so he says that over the course of his career, he says, I missed 9,000 shots. He says, I lost 300 games. And he says, I've been put in front of, in front of the, the net 26 times where I had to make the game-winning shot, and I missed it. He says, I failed over and over and over again, and that is why I succeed. So that's what I have for you all this morning. So thank you.